Amen. I think that first time I heard that song was our first time at Valley, and we loved it then, we love it now. Love that it says that he was with us in every trial that we've already been through. He's with us now if there's a trial we're going through, and he'll be with us in the future trials that come our way. And the amazing thought is, not only is he going to be with you in each of those trials, he's actually carefully planned each of those trials to work for your benefit, for your good. He's making you more like Christ through every single trial you go through. So not only is he with you, he's actually using it for your good. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to start in 1 John chapter 4, 1 John 4. But I want to say before we begin, it's good to be back. Uh, our family's been gone for what seems like 10,000 years. Uh, it's only been three weeks, I think, but that's three weeks too many uh, as far as we're concerned. Uh, I was preaching at a family camp for another church about three weeks ago, and that was just a wonderful time up in Northern California. And then we've been on vacation two weeks, but it's just so good to be back with our true family, God's family. Uh, it was great to see our family, our biological family, um, but it's always wonderful to be with God's people and our brothers and sisters in Christ. First uh, John chapter 4, here in a moment. You know, some statements just don't really go together. Uh, you know, you're never going to find someone probably that says, well, I love Italian food, but I hate pasta. <laughs> you know, or maybe someone that says, I love nature, but I hate the outdoors, right? These statements don't go together. Well, likewise, we should never find someone that says, I love God, but I don't serve his people. Those two statements shouldn't go together, right? We have this vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father in the primary way that we express our love and devotion to our Father is through how we love one another. And that's exactly what John says here in 1 John 4. So I want to open there before we jump over to Romans, where we'll be for most of the morning. 1 John 4, verse 7, John says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not love know God because God is love in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him in this is love not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So if you love God, if you truly love God, you will love his people. Love for God is expressed primarily in love and service to God's people. That's John's point here. That's Paul's point in Romans chapter 12. So I want to look at that. So flip over to Romans chapter 12, where Paul's big thought in Romans 12 is that we should all worship God. Well, Paul, what does it look like? What does it look like to worship God? And what Paul says immediately after that is we should be serving one another and loving one another. That's what worshiping God looks like on this earth, is serving and loving brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's read Romans 12. 1 to 13, and then we'll pray. 
Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right? So that's the call. Worship, right? Live a life of worship. So how do we do that? Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members don't all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Now, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray. Father, this is uh, an incredibly high calling, and it's easy to look at those last several verses and just be overwhelmed about doing all of these things, serving for you, serving others, outdoing one another, loving one another, serving one another, using our gifts. It can sound exhausting if we just look at what we're supposed to do. But Paul started with worship. That all of these things are not things that we just do, they're an overflow of our worship to you. And our worship to you starts with being reminded of your mercies. And so ultimately, that's our prayer this morning, that you would amaze us once again with your mercy. We just sang about it, amazing grace. And I confess that I, I'm never amazed enough at your grace. I often take it for granted I often fall into, well, what have you done for me lately? Rather than just stand in awe of a God who would love me, a sinner, who wanted nothing to do with him, and then would save us, and then want to use us in the work that he's doing in the world to bring glory to himself and his dear son. What a wonderful God you are. What a privilege it is to be your people. Lord, help us to serve you and help us to serve one another. And may we not do it begrudgingly. May no arm be twisted to get us to serve, but may it be the overflow of our worship and our love for you that leads us to joyfully lay down our lives for the sake of others. It's the pattern that we have in our Savior. May it be the pattern of our lives as well. Use your words. Speak to us. Encourage us. Motivate us to serve each and every one of us. In Christ's name.
Amen. That's, I wanted to start in Romans 12, 1, because I think we're, that's where Paul's thought starts. That it's the mercies of God that are going to fuel you to worship and to serve. So if you want to serve in Christ's body, the first thing you need to do is let the mercies of God fuel your worship and your service. Everything starts in verse 1 with the mercies of God. Look what he says, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So what's going to lead you to present your body, to give your whole life to him, to give your whole life in worship to God? What's the thing that's going to make you do that? His mercy. Which is a wonderful thought. God wants to motivate us with mercy. Now, when you say mercy, what does that mean? Well, mercy is a concern over someone's misfortune. It's compassion. And, you know, one example, one small example of mercy uh, was my mom, when we were on vacation, she had this neighbor, and she found this cute little bunny rabbit that I think had maybe been picked up by like an owl or an eagle or something like that and got dropped on the ground, and that bunny rabbit was not looking so hot. And so this poor, unfortunate bunny rabbit was in need of care. So what did my mom's neighbor do? She took it to her apartment, right? She kind of nursed it back to health, and then she let the bunny rabbit go when it was better. And we think, now that's mercy. And it is mercy. It was caring for someone's misfortune, right? This rabbit had come into this unfortunate position, and this cute little rabbit was nursed back to health, and released into the wild. So when we think of mercy, we often think of helping innocent victims. But that is not how God shows mercy. Because God's mercy is not for helpless, innocent victims. We're not innocent. We're not helpless. God is merciful, even though our misfortune is intentional. It's self-imposed misfortune that we put ourselves in. I mean, we're not victims of our sin. Our sin is deliberate. No one's twisting your arm to sin. You sin on your own. It's willful. You know I'm going to make a mess of my life, but I don't care because this is what I want. Right? It's one thing to be merciful to someone who, like, lost all their money and all their possessions in a fire. Right? This terrible thing happened. They couldn't control it. I'm going to be merciful to you. I'm going to help you get back on your feet. Here, take this, take this. I'm going to give you this. It's another thing to be merciful to someone who squandered their money on gambling and foolish purchases and investments. Like our first reaction when we hear something like that is not to, oh, let me be merciful to them. Our first reaction is, you did that to yourself. It's like, you don't deserve my help. I'm not going to have pity on you. I'm not going to have mercy on you. And yet God's not like that. All of our misfortune, primarily, is intentional. It's self-imposed misfortune. And yet God was merciful to us. Even though we made a mess of our lives with sin, we made selfish and foolish decisions that were going to have temporary and eternal consequences God was still merciful to us, even though we did everything to ourselves. But God is merciful 
even though our misfortune not only is self-imposed, it's also personal to against him, right? This bunny rabbit didn't do anything to my mom's neighbor, right? But all of our sin is personal toward God. I mean, look at Romans chapter 1. God is a God who only gives good gifts. He has done nothing but good to us. He's created us. He's created this world that we live in. He wants to do nothing more than to pour out love and mercy and grace on us. And what do we do? Look at verse 21, Romans 1. For although they knew God, we know God's like this. We know he exists. And how do we respond? They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. God has done nothing but good to us. Did we thank him? No. Did we honor him? No. How about verse 23? We exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I mean, he's glorious. He deserves all the glory. Do we give him all the glory he deserves? No, we throw it away. We exchange it. I mean, our sin is like we're willing to go to the pawn shop and pawn our wedding ring so that we can go have an affair. That's what we're like with God's grace and God's goodness. Look at verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. We know his truth, and what do we do? We throw it away. We exchange it. Give us the lie instead. Let me worship the creature, the things you've created, rather than worship you. Verse 30, what do we become? Slanderers, haters of God. All of our sin was personal. It wasn't just like we were just doing our own thing, nobody was getting hurt. No, we were all hating God. And yet, God is merciful. We rejected him, we spurned him, and yet he showed us mercy. We weren't the helpless bunny rabbit. And yet he was merciful. God is also merciful, even though it comes at a great cost to himself. If you find a wounded rabbit on your way home today from church, it's probably not going to cost you very much to nurse that rabbit back to health, right? Maybe a shoebox, a heat lamp, some lettuce and carrots, and that bunny will be good as new in not too long. It won't have costed you very much at all to be merciful. What did it cost God to be merciful to us? His son. The son who he's been loving for all eternity. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. For all eternity, I've been pouring out love on him. My greatest delight has been to love him. And I'm willing to send him and crush him and kill him so that you might have life. What did it cost God to be merciful to you? God is merciful even when it involves an eternal commitment. Again, you help the bunny rabbit, you send him on his way. There's no commitment after that, right? If another hawk gets him, well, that's out of my hands. I can't do anything about that. And yet God, when he rescues us, he's eternally committed to us. 
He adopts us into his family. He's going to be good to us every single day for the rest of eternity. He's going to be nothing but good to you. He's committed to that. He's adopted you into his family. He loves you the same way that he loves his son. His mercies are new every morning. They never come to an end. I don't know if, if, if you're like this, but my kids are like this. I confess, I'm like this. When I see the Amazon Prime truck roll up, you know, and I'm, ho I'm hoping, oh, I hope it stops at our house. Like, I don't even know if I ordered anything, but I just hope that it stops at our house and it brings me something really exciting. Anytime there's a box in the house, the kids are like, what's in that box? What, what's in there? It's like, that's how we should view God's mercy. They are new every morning. That Amazon truck, it's coming every day. Every morning it's going to come. It's going to come multiple times a day, and every single time it's going to be bringing nothing but goodness and mercy every single day for the rest of eternity. That's how God is merciful to us. Daily, multiple times a day, always pouring out mercy. That by the mercies of God, look what he's done for you. We had a saying at our old church. I wasn't a big fan of the saying, but sometimes you'd ask someone, like, how are they doing? And they would say, oh, better than I deserve. Now, I understand what they're saying, but really, when you say it like that, what are you communicating? Well, my life's not really that great. I kind of wish it was better, but I deserve hell, so I guess I could say I'm doing better than I deserve. It's like, better than you deserve? You sinned against an infinitely holy, just, and loving God. And he completely forgave you. He sent his son to pay for your sins. You could never have paid for them. You could never have been forgiven. You could never have been right with him. So what did he do? He sent the son that he loves to die on a cross to forgive your sins. And that's not even the end of it. Then what does he do? He changes your heart. You hated him. Now you love him because he gave you a new heart. He poured his spirit out into you so that you want to do what he says. You actually can do what he says. He's given you grace upon grace upon grace. He's adopted you into his family. One day when this life is over, you're going to go be with him forever, beholding his glory. That's a little then better than I deserve. It's like you're doing so much better than you deserve. How could I possibly be in this situation? I mean, how would you do, why would he do this for you? Because that's just who he is. And like we sang, he's not only going to do that, he's going to be a tender shepherd every day of your life through all the ups and downs. And you're going to be with him forever. And his mercies are never going to come to an end. And so how do we respond to that kind of mercy? What does Paul say? Romans 1, Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Lord, what can I do? I mean, look at what you've done for me. The only thing I can do, the only thing that makes sense is, Lord, my life is yours. Take it. I don't want to live for myself anymore. All I want to do is present my entire life to you. And you do with it whatever you want. If my life can bring you just the tiniest amount of glory, use it. 
Do whatever you want. It's all for you. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. My whole life at your disposal. You call the shots. I don't call the shots. I don't want to call the shots anymore. You call the shot. If you're a God that shows that kind of mercy, then you take my life and you do whatever you want. I trust you. I want you to do what you want to do. I don't want to see where my plans go. Paul says, you become a living sacrifice, which is a little bit of an oxymoron, right? I mean, sacrifices generally aren't living, right? They're dead. It's like Paul saying, be a healthy Dorito, right? Or an American soccer fan, or, you know, be a 45-minute Larry Howard sermon. These things don't exist. They don't make sense. I also go over almost every time, too, so take that for what it's worth. But sacrifices, they're not usually living. They're not voluntary. No goat is going up saying, yo, make, pick me. I want to be the sacrifice today. I want my life ended for the benefit of someone else. But Paul's saying, no, that's the only thing that makes sense. Given the mercies of God, Lord, I'm the sac- use me. Honor yourself through me. Glorify yourself through me. My life, it's not mine. I don't care. Do whatever you want with it. If you show that kind of mercy, then take my life. Do whatever you want. Paul says, this is your spiritual worship. This is what worship is. The word spiritual there, it actually is from the Greek word logikos. Right? What word do you hear when you hear logikos? Logical. This is your logical worship. This is the only response that makes sense given the mercies of God. The only response. My whole life, it's yours. I don't want to do anything else. There's, nothing, there's no better plan I could come up with. You have done so many incredible, I'll never understand them, I will sing about them for 10,000 years, and I'll still never understand the depths of them. Because you've done those things, the only thing that makes sense is for me to give you my life. And you do whatever you want to do with it. I mean, sometimes we just kind of minimize the gospel to, oh, it's punishment prevention. You don't want to go to hell, do you? No. So believe in Jesus, and then you don't have to go to hell. Whew, glad I got that taken care of. Now I can go live my life however I want, and I don't have to worry about hell. That's not the gospel. Sometimes we even maybe say true things, like, well, Jesus is Lord, and you need to obey him, you need to bow to him, you need to surrender to him. That's also true. But what does Paul say motivates true worship? Not authority. Mercy. That's worship. That I'm so amazed at the mercy of God that I want to live my life for him. I want him to use me. Do whatever you want. Use me however you want. I don't think of church as I go on Sundays and I, don't, I do whatever I want for Monday through Saturday. No, my whole life is yours, God. Use me. It calls for a total transformation. Look at verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everything changes. Out with the old, right? Actively dismantle the way that I used to live before I knew about your mercy. Take it all away. Every motivation, everything that I was living for before, take it away. I don't want to be conformed to that anymore. Lord, transform me. Renew me. Make me completely different. 
our family's been on vacation for two weeks and you know sometimes when you go on vacation you get out of good patterns and good habits right so we went on vacation and normally every morning Rhonda will lead the kids and if I'm there you know in breakfast we'll have our devotional time we'll go to the word we'll go to the Lord we'll pray we'll talk about the day ahead in the evenings when we're all together we try to do the same thing those are good habits that we're in when we're at home but on vacation you know we sort of get out of those habits and what happens verse 2 happens you become conformed to the pattern of this world right because you're not actively resisting it anymore and so the the world wants to conform you the world wants you to think life's all about you get what you want do your own thing and that's what i felt on our vacation at times like why am i so impatient you know why am i so lazy why am i so self-focused because I stopped resisting the conforming effects of the world, and I started letting the world conform me again over the course of time. That's another reason why it's so good to be back home. But the world wants to conform you. It's going to push you into its mold unless you resist it. That's what Paul's saying. Part of worship is get me out of the world. Get me away from the conforming effect of the world. Not get me out of the world. Be in the world. Be a light. Be salt but don't let the world mold me according to its desires. Instead, what do you do? You transform, you be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I think that's what Paul's already talked about, by the mercies of God. Renew your mind with the mercies of God. That's what Larry did in the first sermon in this series, Philippians 2. Let me think about the mercy I've received through Christ who though he is God, never ceases to be God, yet he humbled himself. It said he emptied himself, but notice what it says. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He didn't take away anything from himself. He didn't cease to be God. He didn't cease to be omnipresent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, all of those. He was all those things still. How did he empty himself? He added. This was subtraction by addition. He added humanity to himself and humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let those mercies renew your mind. If he did that for me, how could I not even want to give like the smallest fraction of that to somebody else? Now, you might ask, well, this was a message about service. Why am I taking so much time to talk about the mercies of God? Because I don't want to twist anyone's arm to serve. And I don't think God is in the arm-twisting business when it comes to service, right? God is in the mercy business. What he wants to see happen is that he wants to see you so overwhelmed by his mercy that you think, all I want to do now is just live like you. I want to serve. I want to pour out myself for the good of others. That's how you loved me. Let me live that way for others. Let the mercy of God transform your life. Let it lead you to worship him. Let it lead you to lay down your life for him. And then as an overflow of that, you'll serve others. God doesn't want reluctant sacrifices. He wants living sacrifices that you voluntarily go to the altar and say, Lord, use me. Use my life. As a parent, I'm sure you've all had children. When you ask them to do something, they say, okay, I'll do it. 
and then they go moping, frowning, and they do what you ask them to do, does that honor you in any way, shape, or form? No. And yet, sometimes I think our service to God is like that. Serve. All right, fine. Here, here's a donut. Welcome to Valley Bible Church. It's like, does that honor God in any way? Is that reflective of his grace and his mercy in your life? No, we're to be fueled by his mercy. That you wake up every day and you think, what did I deserve today? Oh, I deserve nothing. I deserve less than nothing. And how good has God been to me today? Infinitely good. Infinitely merciful. Lord, I want to live for you. And you do that every day. Renew your mind with his mercy. And look at verse 3. What's this key area of transformation that needs to happen in verse 3? I think of all the things that Paul could have said. Every way that your life needs to change to reflect the mercies of God. The first thing he says, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Again, the world has a conforming thought. The world wants you to think very highly of yourself. The world wants you to think that it's, it is all about you. You are amazing. You do you. And yet Paul says, if you're really going to live a life of worship to God and service to others, you need to have this thought in your mind, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. That I don't think about me primarily anymore. I don't think in terms of what's best for me. I think about how can my life reflect what God has done for me. How can I live to serve the needs of others? I'm more concerned about what God wants than what I want. I'm more concerned about what others want than what I want. That's worship. That's how worship is expressed. It's expressed in service. And so we start with the mercies of God because the mercies of God fuel everything. It fuels worship. It fuels service. So if you're not serving today, my primary objective is not to say, well, you get serving and you better do it, because God says so. My primary encouragement to you is think about the mercies of God. Think about what he's done for you. Meditate on what you deserved and what you've received from God. What did it cost him? How long are you going to enjoy those good things from God for all eternity? And if you understand that, then you'll worship and you'll serve. So if you're not serving, meditate on the mercies of God. Secondly, use your gifts then as mercy has overflowed into worship, as worship then overflows, use your gifts to serve the body. Look at verses four to six. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, and having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So Paul gives this illustration. I'm sure you've heard it before. We are the body of Christ. All of us together corporately comprise the body of Christ. Now, just as in our human body, we have many different parts to the body, so in this body, we have many different parts. They don't all do the same thing. They do a variety of things. Now, how many parts of the body are needed 
for the body to function properly. All of them, right? If the body is functioning as well as it could possibly function, every single part is working and doing its part. So let's say there's 500 adults here at Valley Bible Church. How many of them need to be functioning properly in order for this body to function properly? 500, right? Because I know what usually happens in a sermon series on serving like this. The people that are already serving are just going to start serving more, right? And that's fine. If God leads you to do that, by all means, you know, serve more. But what we really want to see is the people that have yet to start serving, that we want to see them start serving. We want to see them. I want to see how, how has God gifted you? He has. We'll talk about that in a moment. How has he gifted you that you're going to be a blessing to this body, that this body's going to be better because you're serving? You know, have you ever had an injury where another part of the body tried to compensate for that injury? Right? Let's say you have a bum knee. So what happens? You start putting more pressure and more weight on the other knee. Now what happens? Now you got two bum knees. Right? That's not what we want. We don't want other parts of the body that are already doing what they're supposed to do. We don't want them taking on more. We want the rest of the body to get involved so that everyone is serving. What I would love to see happen is that people who have not yet begun to serve, that they would start serving. And again, not out of compulsion, not out of arm twisting, but that the Spirit would work in your heart to remind you everything that God has done for you in Christ. And that you would say, Lord, my life is yours. I'm so, I, forgive me. I haven't been living that way. I've been living for myself. I've just been a consumer at church, not a contributor. I've been sitting on the sidelines watching the rest of the body work. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to live for you. My life, it's yours. Use me however you want. Studies show that in an average church, only 15% of the people serve on a regular basis. What would your body look like if only 15% of it was working in the way it's supposed to? Not good. Now, I think as a church, we have more than 15%. I think we have well more than 15%, and that's a blessing. And when I look at this church, I'm not discontent in any way. I'm amazed at what God does through the people that are here. And I'm encouraged and I'm blessed and I am just thankful for all the things that God is doing. But I will say that sometimes I dream, what would it look like if 100% of the people at this church were serving? What more could God do even through us? You know, in Revelation chapter 2, Christ walks among his churches. He calls them lampstands. And he sees these different churches and all the different issues that are going on and he calls them to repent and to return. And he says if they don't repent, that he'll extinguish their lampstand. I don't want that to be Valley Bible Church. I don't want to not be used by God. I want to be used by God as much as possible. Like, Lord, you want to use us in the world. Don't extinguish this lampstand. May all of us be shining brightly for Christ, serving Christ with our whole hearts, that we'd want nothing more than to joyfully lay down our lives for his sake. So you might ask, well, how am I supposed to serve? Well, look at verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given, let us use them. The first thing Paul says is that you have a gift. Every single believer has 
a gift. You could think of it this way, too. Every single believer is a gift to his church. That when God saved you, it wasn't an accident. It's not an accident that you're sitting in this room. That God saved you, he gave you a gift, and he put you into this church to use your gift, to be a benefit to the body and be a benefit to the world. Every single person has a gift. So if you've never served before, you're missing out. God has actually given you a gift. You have it. Now you might think, well, maybe I, I don't know what it is, or I don't have, no, you have one. There are no exceptions, right? You're not an appendix in God's body, in Christ's body, right? What's an appendix? It's this part of our body. It's like no one really knows what it does. It's just sort of there. And the only time you hear about it is if a problem happens and we have to remove it. It's like, I hope, you know, God's church does not have an appendix, right? So don't be someone that's just sort of there. We're not sure what you do. Uh, But if you cause problems, eventually we'll have to remove you. No, that's not what we want to see happen. There are no appendixes in God's body. We want to see every single person using the gift that God has given them to benefit the body. If you're five years old and God has saved you, you have a gift for the body. If you're a teenager and God has saved you, you have a gift that this body needs. If you're in your 80s or 90s, you have a gift that this body needs. Let's say you've been a Christian for 50 years and you've never served. You have a gift that this body needs. And so use it to serve one another. Now, how do I serve? Paul gives you some ideas in verse 6. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and so on. What's Paul's point? Whatever gift you have, use it. If God's gifted you as a teacher, find a way to use that in the church, to be a blessing to the church. If God's given you a gift of encouragement, that you're an encouraging person, use it in the church. That's his point. So there's a variety of gifts that he mentions. This list is not exhaustive. There's other gifts he talks about in other passages. But the point is, think through how God has gifted you and find out how can I use this gift to be a benefit to others. You could serve in various ministries. You could teach. You could exhort. He says you could give. That's the gift that everyone hopes they don't have is giving. There's a Christian uh, website called the Babylon Bee. They do these kind of satire articles. Uh, I came across one a few years back. It said this, local man relieved after spiritual gift test comes back negative for giving. The headline says, after waiting for several anxious days to receive the results of his spiritual gift test, local man Trent Shepard was reportedly relieved to find the definitive test had returned negative results for the gifts of mercy, compassion, and giving. What a weight off my chest, Shepard told reporters. I was really worried the exam was going to find that I had a supernatural God-given knack for helping others and giving generously to those in need. Sometimes that's how we feel about our gifts. Like, I don't don't want that gift. But no, whatever gift you have, use it to serve the body. Leadership, mercy, all of these gifts that he mentions. Now, you might ask the question, well, how do I know what gift I have? Well, I would say you don't really need a spiritual gifts test. I would say start serving, and you'll find out what gift you have. Right? Start serving in a ministry. If it's not the right fit, okay, I pivot and I go to a different ministry. If that one's not the right fit, I go to a different one. And what happens is you actually end up finding out how has God uniquely gifted me 
for the good of this church. So start serving. Start serving now. You know, don't say like, well, let me pray about it for a year or so. Then I'm going to do some research. Then I'm going to get equipped for another year. Then I'll start. No, just serve now. Start today serving. Another way that you might notice what your gifts are is what about the church annoys you? That's another way to think about maybe that's a way that God's gifted me. You might walk over to the kids ministry and you think, man, this kids ministry, it needs more workers. It's like, well, maybe that's God telling you to volunteer in the kids ministry. Or maybe you think, well, this church hasn't been very welcoming. I would say that's hard to believe because this is a very loving church. But if that's been your experience, maybe that's God's way of saying, hey, maybe I should be involved in the greeter or hospitality ministry. Right? What are the things that kind of annoy you that you wish were different? Well, be part of the solution. It may very well be that God's gifted you in those exact ways to serve. So use your gifts to serve others And then lastly, devote yourself to the needs of others in verses 9 through 13. He says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Kind of the banner over these verses is those first words, let love be genuine, which I think in many ways is synonymous with what he just said. Use your gifts to serve the body. In other words, let your love be genuine. If there is a distinction between those two, it might be that using your gifts, maybe that's kind of more formal ministries that you're a part of. Whereas love is all the informal ministry that you're a part of as well. Loving people, encouraging them. He says, let your love be genuine. The word genuine there means let your love be without hypocrisy. What would hypocritical love look like? I'm doing loving actions, but it's not motivated by an actual genuine love for you. Paul says, don't let it be that way. Let your love be genuine. And again, if you're having trouble genuinely loving, go back to the mercies of God. He can love a sinner like you, then you can love a sinner as well. The rest of these verses of 9 through 13, it's all kind of one big sentence. Again, the big thought is let your love be genuine. And all of these other things just flow out of that. What does genuine love look like? In verse 9, it looks like abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good. Genuine love is willing to tell someone when something is evil. And that can be a scary thing, right? To tell someone the thing that you're doing, the way that you're going, the way that you're living your life, it's not good for you. It's actually evil. And we might be tempted to not say those things to people because we're afraid. What might that do to our relationship? Well, that's hypocritical love. If you're only going to love someone in a way that maintains a good relationship, that's hypocritical because I care more about myself than I care about the other person. Unhypocritical love is I'm I'm willing to risk this relationship to tell them the way they're going is not good. 
So abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Be quick to think of the good things about people. Don't dismiss good things. Hold fast to them. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. In other words, treat people like family. Now, if you're a dysfunctional family, don't treat them like your family, but treat them like, you know, a good family would treat them. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. I mean, imagine if we had a church where every single person thought of themselves in a competition to outdo one another in showing honor. That I'm going around thinking, I'm going to show you more honor than you show me. I mean, we just did the volleyball championship, and there was some competition going on about who's the best volleyball team. Now imagine if that competition was turned into, I'm going to outserve you, not in a volleyball sense, sir, but I'm going to outserve you, right? I'm going to outlove you. I'm going to outhonor you. It's like everything, I'm going to work my hardest to show you honor and to show you love and to show you care. It says, don't be slothful, right? Don't get lazy in this. It's easy to do. Don't get lazy, but be fervent, right? The Spirit will empower this as you ask the Lord to do it. Remember who you're serving in verse 11. You're serving the Lord, ultimately, as you serve his people. That's what Tim talked about last week. Rejoice in hope. So have a forward-looking perspective. I'm serving in light of where I'm going. I'm not serving in light of just the here and now. I'm letting my destination determine how I serve here and now. I'm headed to heaven. I'm headed to be with Christ forever. How does that impact how I serve right now? Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And then contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. What does genuine love look like? It looks like treating people, loving people, even strangers. Hospitality literally means love for strangers. So how should that impact the way that you act in the body of Christ? It's always wonderful to come on a Sunday and see your friends and to catch up with your friends. But Paul says, if you're truly wanting to be a servant, you actually don't just go and look for your friends. You actually want to show that same kind of love that you show your friends. You want to show that to strangers. That you treat each other like family, that you have each other in each other's houses. That when it comes time to think, oh, who do we want to have over for dinner? I don't just think of the people I know. I also think about the people I've yet to come to know very well. How can I involve them? We want to be a hospitable church where it should be commonplace that we're in each other's houses, we're in each other's lives. That shouldn't be rare. That should be the normal way that we live our lives as believers. There are always ways to love and serve one another genuinely like this. And just in closing, I would just encourage you, don't leave today without taking some kind of action. There's a couple brothers, I think, out there. We have an enlistment center that has all the different ministry needs. So there's kids ministry, worship ministry, AV, security. If you're a big, strong, scary person, you can talk to Robert. You know, he'll tell you all about our security ministry. He'll teach you how to smile so to make people feel safe. But don't leave today without thinking about how can I serve? Maybe even before you get in your car today, you send a text or an email to a ministry leader. Say, hey, I want to know more about serving with kids. Or I want to know more about, you know, being a part of the worship team. Right? Don't leave today without thinking about that. Because I know that what will happen, we'll walk out the doors, and we'll think, that was a great message, I really want to serve, and then we'll forget. And then we'll be here next Sunday. And so don't, don't, don't let that happen. Think through ways to serve. Maybe talk to me. Talk to another one of our deacons, ministry leaders, elders. We'd love to get you involved. There's countless ways to be involved. 
And if you have a gift that you think doesn't quite fit one of the ministries here, maybe that's God's way of starting a new ministry as well. And so we have this wonderful opportunity as the body of Christ to worship God because of his mercy by serving one another. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to be in your family. And it's all because of mercy. None of us are here because we deserve to be here. We're here because you're merciful. You're merciful even when all of our sin was intentional. You're merciful even when all of our sin was personal, directed at you. You're merciful even though it came at great cost to yourself by sending your son. And you're merciful even though you're going to have to be merciful for all eternity, constantly pouring out the new mercies that we need every single morning. We are so thankful that you're merciful. And Lord, if we truly understand your mercy, I pray that your spirit would help us to truly understand your mercy. And if we truly understand it, the only response that makes sense is we want to give our lives to you. Would you use us? Would you use this church? Would you use every single part of this church, every single person in this church? Use them. May they use their gift to be a benefit to the body. May we all just delight to give our lives to you and to not think of church as a Sunday activity, to not think of God as a part of our lives, but that everything about us revolves around you and your mercy. And Lord, would you do great things? I think there's even greater things ahead. If we, want, if we serve you, if we lay down our lives before you in joyful response to your mercy, you can do incredible things. Lord, I want to see this building full of bo- both services that cars can't get in because there's just too many people here that want to worship you for your mercy and your goodness. But Lord, if you bring that many people, we're going to need that many more servants. We're going to need more people that want to care for the kids that you bring to this ministry. More people that are going to serve in the different ministries on Sundays and even throughout the week. More people that are just going to take up the responsibility to love people in these informal ways of having each other in one another's homes, of encouraging people, praying for people. Lord, there's so many needs, and yet we know that you've gifted each member of this body to meet those needs. So may we with joy do that. In response to your great mercies, may we lay down our lives for you and serve one another. We pray in Christ's name, amen.